Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday. A little later this week than normal. Um, We talked about it, and I think starting next week, you'll be able to find us on Thursdays. That gives us time to get it up and and uploaded and everything together. We kind of had to work out the process, and so I think that's going to be the best day for us, and we will, um, sorry about any inconvenience to you guys, but stay with us, please. Sometimes (laughs) we have to work out the schedule, you know, because we're getting back to life and back to activities. So Monday and Tuesday's gotten kind of busy, so we're trying to figure things out. That way, when you wake up on Thursday, it'll be there, and I have to wake up Wednesday and be disappointed, and then wait till the afternoon or find out it was added later. So we're just going to make it official. It's going to be new on Thursdays. Yes. All the time from go. I think that sounds great, Melissa. And thank you for understanding, everyone. <laughs> so today, Melissa's going to tell us a story, and I have not yes. heard much, so I get to um, respond, and I'm excited. <laughs> I like when that happens. So she has not heard this one yet. This one is about um, Daniel LaPlante. And so we're going to talk about, he's a he's a boy who was just very disturbed. And, you know, perhaps if he had gotten the proper help, you know, he needed at a young age, and they could have been prevented some of the stuff that happened. Um, but it is a very tragic story. And I like his name. So yeah, Daniel LaPlante. Um, he was born on May 15th in 1970 in a town, um, Townsend, Massachusetts. So this is a relatively small town. So even in 2010, their census was only 8,000 people. Oh, wow. That's not, that's nice. not large by any means. So it's a, it's a small town. And, um, you know, unfortunately, when you Google that town, one of their notable residences is Daniel LaPlante. And oh, it's, wow. um, that's sad. yeah, because there's not many people that make the list in that small <laughs> town. So he's still like on their um, record. So per se, if, if you look up that town, uh, they might not um, have many tourists come through yeah. <laughs> or want to visit after they Google it. But, you know, just like a lot of the people we talk about, Daniel did not have a good childhood by any means. He was, um, Seemed he was doomed from the very start. You know, all the authority figures in his early life were taking advantage of him. Um, during this time, he lived with his mother and his stepfather, so Elaine and David Moore. He did have two siblings. He had uh, two brothers, Stephen and Matthew, and I couldn't find any information about them or what they Man, went through I or how they treated Daniel. Um, but together, their family, they lived in Townsend, and, um, of course, it was far from a happy household. So Daniel was being abused in almost every way possible um, mm-hmm. by both his father and his stepfather. Um, oh, wow. So at the hands of both men, like he received, it was sexual abuse, mental, physical, psychological, whatever you could think of, you could throw at this kid. That's what happened. Man. Um, obviously. And, and what year did you say? He was born in 1970s. 70s. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's just not not a good thing. And so he was also diagnosed with dyslexia. So he had that going on and he had no help with that. So he was trying to navigate. Schooling was hard. Things were extra difficult. And on top of everything else he was dealing with. Um, So he had a lot going on. Um, But as a result of everything, like he really withdrew and became socially awkward and was kind of a loner. And, 
didn't really have anybody to reach out and, you know, help him. And classmates described him as creepy and weird. Poor guy. Um, yeah. And so he was kind of depressed. And so he often came to school with like dirty and tattered clothes and he didn't really care about his appearance. So his hair was often greasy and just kind well, of. Like, didn't get baths often. Yeah. And no one was there to make him do it or, you yeah. know, how teenage boys are. Um, just stuff like that. So it, it made other children go out of their way just to avoid him because they didn't want to be around him. Um, so school officials, you know, officially decided to intervene. And when by the time he was a teen, it was apparent that his behavior and his um, social awareness, he just, they knew he needed help. So they off, they referred him to a psychiatrist. So he was taken to a psychiatrist. Um, unfortunately, this particular doctor did more harm than good. Um, he was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder. Okay. Um, which instead of getting treated for it, this doctor spent a year helping him by also sexually abusing him oh no so not, not only the, not only the dad the stepdad that then his doctor, doctor who was supposed oh. to like we're gonna take you and get you help and this happened that's terrible my heart is breaking yeah. so by the time you know all that is said and done he's pretty worse off than when he started this whole yeah. mess um and so he needed a hobby he needed to cope with all this stuff and so he turns to petty crime so he often um, would break into people's houses when they were not home. You know, he went through their stuff and he didn't take a lot. He would more so move furniture and like leave cups out and make you think when he walked in a room like, did, I do, did I do that or was that already there? And kind of like just mess with people's minds a little bit. I bet because he didn't have any control that gave him a sense of control. Mm -hmm over other environments and he liked knowing that so that when the people came home he knew that that would mess with their heads yes so he liked playing mind tricks on people um so that's just what he developed as a hobby but in the nearby town of Peppermill, um there was a struggling family of three this was the andrews family so you have brian andrews um he had lost his wife due to cancer um, and that left two daughters to take care of. Annie was 15 and Jessica was eight. Um, you know, he had to support the family on one income. So it forced him to work many hours, um, more than usual. So the girls were often left home alone. Okay. 15, eight, not, not out of the ordinary. I was yeah. left home when I was under 15 and I had a younger sister to take care of. So this, they were responsible. Um, he was comfortable letting them stay home by themselves. But um, she would have friends over. You know, she's a 15-year-old girl. She would giggle and talk about boys. That's right. right. Around the same And the same age. And so she started getting phone calls from a mysterious man. Huh. So this boy told her that his name was Danny and that he had gotten her number from a friend at school. Okay. So she starts having these daily, weekly conversations with this little boy named Danny, who seemed to be just a cool dude like nice guys over the phone kind of like now with the screens you got yeah. that and so she had never met him before and she just assumed that he got her number from a friend like she said because oh, wow. you know we didn't know any better but they didn't know any better back in back in the day and so eventually he um tells her that he's tall and blonde and athletic and everything that seems too good to be true which we know <laughs> is never the right wow. thing and he asked her out on a date Okay. He said he wanted to pick her up at her house and take her to this little fair. So she's like, sure, why not? This is like her first date. She's excited. 
And so the day comes and the doorbell rings. And so she's so excited to run to the door and she opens it up. And there's not a tall, blonde, athletic dude standing there. There's a five foot eight, dark haired, greasy boy with acne. Who's like, it's me. I'm Danny. Wow. So this has been going on before the internet. (laughs) So um, she decides that, okay, well, I, I, I can see why. Maybe you didn't want to tell me that's what you look like. But, you know, I've talked for you for a week. You don't feel like a stranger. Let's go out. Oh, wow. So, so she still went. She still wow. went. So she Kudos goes to her. But it only lasts for about an hour. Okay. He was just too weird, too creepy, too just... Made her uncomfortable. Not, yes, made her uncomfortable. Isn't that sad how he could do, talk on the phone, but then they got together? So. Yeah. Um, so she explained to him how she lost her um, her mom to cancer. And that's what like gave him a spark. And he got really interested and asked a bunch of questions like, how did she suffer? What was she sick from? How long did she stay sick? Oh, like too, too many disturbing yes, questions. Especially about her mom. Yeah. And um and it had happened recently. So this she just was like, Okay, I'm gonna go home and don't ever call me again. Like, peace yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> and so she she was like, No, I can't do this. So she leaves and she goes home. So she had officially rejected him. Yeah. So um and rightly so. He yes. was being creepy. And so she she let him know, like, you know, I don't want to see you again. I'm going home. So Annie and Jessica, they're home alone one day, and they start to hear this odd tapping sound. And they couldn't quite figure out where it was coming from. Like, it only happened when the girls were by themselves or late at night. Huh. And sometimes it even kept them up from sleeping. Oh, just wow. Just like this, just tapping. They didn't know where it was coming One from. One of those annoying. Yeah. And they, and they tried telling their dad, but he was just brushed it off. He's like, yeah. you're just imagining things. Like, I don't hear it. You're fine. And he was working all and, the time. Yeah, he was sure. working all the time. He's like, oh, that's, you know, that's great. So eventually the girls decided that, you know, maybe it was their mom trying to tell them something. Okay. I mean, they're young and they've yeah. lost their mom. And, and they, you know, they're like, well, maybe, just maybe. So they decide to have a little seance. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so they like light candles and, and, and do the whole the whole kid thing. And, you know, they just tried to justify it as their mom's trying to tell them something. Gotcha. It's not so it freaked them out. Just like, it's just mom. And so then soon, you know, they started to notice things like cups on the counter that were being left out. Oh, wow. You know, pieces of furniture getting moved around. Not really sure if they've moved misplaced things that they couldn't find. Did I leave that there? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that being there. Have I drank um, half of my Mountain Dew now? Yeah. Did <laughs> I even pull a Mountain Dew out the refrigerator? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I probably did. And I don't know if I drank it or not. Well, if it's like with the kids, there's probably five cups floating around that have half True. drinks everywhere. But so just kind of some stuff that was like strange. But then, you know, they didn't, didn't really think anything of it and you know, just just was stuff they were questioning around the house which i mean i do that now sometimes but then i have yes. so many things on my mind i did move something and didn't remember right um was that stoplight yellow <laughs> or green when i went through it well maybe it could have been a little bit red <laughs> yes i get it the older you get so this time one day um you know and they brought that up to their dad the stuff was moving around and he just said that you know you guys are still grieving. You're going through because they were like, it's a ghost. It's mom. Yeah. And so he was like, you know, stop this nonsense craziness. You're just, you miss her. We all get it. We all miss her and move on. Like, yeah. it's, we don't have anybody in the house. There's no ghost. Oh, are these, these stories we tell that are true, 
they can drive you crazy because they don't like when you're the one experiencing something and somebody doesn't believe you, you're like, ah, yeah. really, it's really happening. So he didn't believe him. He didn't believe him. He said it was their imagination. And so once again, the girls were home alone one afternoon and they hear the tapping. But this time it didn't sound like it was coming from the walls. It sounded like it was coming from the floor. Huh. Now this house had a basement. Okay. I know we, we around here don't have basements, but they, they, it almost was like a scratching. So not just a tapping, it was like a scratching. Okay. So they're like, well, this is weird. And they're like, we're not crazy. We're going to find out what's going on. So the oldest of the two, she goes and gets a kitchen knife. And they both go to the basement. Smart girl. Me? No. <laughs> we'll be across the street. Well, yeah, no. Smart girl. Not, <laughs> to get the knife. To get the knife. But not to go to the basement. <laughs> but yeah, no. I would not go down to creepy basements because basements are creepy anyway. They are. Um, to me too. Yes. But, so they decide to check it out. And so they go down to the basement and they get down there and they come down the stairs and on the wall was a message what appeared to be written in blood that said, I'm in your room. Come and find me. <gasps> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Definitely 911. The immediately run screaming from the house across the street to the neighbors. Oh, good for them. Okay. Yes. Ooh, so I they, thought you were going to say they went to the bedroom. No, they begged them. I don't think they were that brave. <laughs> don't ever follow a note that says follow me on the yes, do not. So they go to the neighbor's house and they beg them for help. So the neighbors are like, oh, this girls, you know, they're still grieving their, their mom. Right. Come on in. It's okay. Call your dad. Um, so they, they didn't panic. They were just like, call your dad. Cause apparently yeah. they must've known about the situation. And so they call him and he's like, really like got to come home for this. So he leaves work wow. and he's irritated and he thinks they're doing it themselves for attention oh, because no. he's never home. He's always at work. And oh, he thinks no. this is them this in their griefs. Yes. Like, I need help. Pay attention to me. Like, this is what we have going on. So he decides. This is driving me crazy. He decides they need a therapist. <gasps> oh, wow. So he didn't know about the, the, the boy and all that stuff. Oh, okay. So he's like, y'all are crazy. Like, you need therapy. Like, we need to get through this. This is what we're going to do. So he takes him to a therapist. Oh, no. Still doesn't believe him. And yet, they go back home and sleep. And, yes. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh -uh. But it turns out the, the note was written in ketchup. Okay. That's when he was like, really? Like, They're you must have it. done this. Yeah. Like, this is not, you know, this is crazy. And so then two weeks, nothing happens. So he's like, been to the therapist. We've resolved the situation. Nothing is going on. You know. Gotcha. I still love you. <laughs> don't don't act out anymore. Life life goes back Save to normal. Save ketchup for the French fries. Yes. Because y'all eat tons of it. Life goes back to normal. Okay. Okay. But after two weeks, the tapping comes back. Again, when they're by themselves or when their dad's asleep. So by now, these girls must be <laughs> yeah. so... I would be out of my mind. Right. Because no be one believes yes. you that you didn't do this stuff. I can't stand that feeling. <laughs> so, like, it's it's crazy. And so, um, you know, Brian thought things were getting back to normal. The girls were beginning to heal. Things were okay. The tapping comes back. And so they knew they weren't grief-stricken. They weren't crazy. Something is making the noise. They want to go find it again. They grab that kitchen knife. <laughs> like, we are finding out what is making this noise. This time it sounded like it was coming from Annie's bedroom. Okay. And so, knife in hand, they make their way down the hall. They get into their room, and they have another message on the wall. Oh, my goodness. This time it says, I'm back. Find me if you can. Oh, my word. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Out the door to the neighbor's Yeah, house. so they went out the door? They went out the door okay. to the neighbor's 
house, knocked on the door. Hey, we need help again. Come on in, sweetheart. Call your dad. Like they weren't too concerned about this. Oh my word. <laughs> so they call their dad again. He's like, I gotta leave work again for a message I on the wall. Like, what? For what is your problem? <laughs> Oh my goodness. So he leaves work and he comes home. He doesn't miss the neighbor's house. He comes home and he's like, what have the girls done now? What have they decided to write on the wall? So he goes in the bedroom and he sees so that. He goes there before he gets them. The, he doesn't bring the girls back. Okay. So he goes to the Which bedroom. is good. Okay. He goes to the house and he goes in the bedroom and he sees the right. He sees the, the message. Okay. I'm back. Find me if you can. But then he turns around and written on the other wall was marry me. Oh. And he's like, well, they didn't tell me about that one. Like, why would they write that on the wall? If they yeah. invented this, like, mom's the ghost, why would Mary me be on the wall? But then he sees something move out the corner of his eye. He sees a tall, blonde woman in, like, a white nightgown dress. And he's thinking, like, my wife? Maybe this is a ghost. <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? No, it was, you know, five foot, eight inch, dark, greasy haired Danny in a wig. And a dress, dress with a hatchet. Oh my gracious. Yeah. That's scary. So he lunges at Brian okay. with the hatchet. They struggle and then he gets away. I don't know if Brian like passed out or if he fell. Or, but anyway, he the guy's gone. Okay. And so he immediately calls police. Yes. And probably feels like the most horrible person yes. in the world that he didn't believe his girls yes. that something was crazy was going on in his house. Um. And so the police were called and now they do a very extensive search throughout the house once they find out everything that had been going on about the tapping and all that stuff. Well, in Annie's bedroom in the back of her closet, there was a, a door, a crawl space. And inside the crawl space, they found like a sleeping bag and food wrappers and beer cans and trash. Oh, and you know, they found clothes and some of the items that they had thought they had misplaced throughout the house. And the crawl space was attached to a passageway that went through the entire house. It gave him free movement to all the rooms that he was doing the tapping in. This must have been a really big house. And, and he'd even cut out peepholes in certain rooms that he could keep an eye on who was where. Because he had to come out to yeah. go to the bathroom to get the food and drink to... Oh, my gracious. So, he was living in their house. Yeah. In the walls. Oh, my word. For That's two months. Crazy. Yes. Oh. And driving them crazy. Where was his parents? I mean, I, I guess I didn't miss him. him. I mean, obviously, they Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's, mm, makes you think. I mean, that's, ah, <laughs> every little noise you hear now, I'm be yes. like, he was living what in my walls. walls. Of course, houses aren't built like they were. No. And, you know, back, it Which, I mean, home. you think secret passageways, that sounds so, fun, <laughs> but not, nope. Did That's we find crazy. out, do you tell later, just because I don't know how he got her number or how he ended up? It's believed that he broke in, because he did break into a lot of houses. That's what he was good. That was his specialty. That he probably found it somehow or like saw pictures of the kids and were like, hey, I kind of like her. I'll, I'll call back and say I'm a friend. Okay. Kind of thing. Um, but I don't particularly hundred okay. percent know. Okay. Um, makes sense. But so police were, you know, they promptly arrested him out of the cross space. Yes. <laughs> and he's only 16. So he's a juvenile. So he gets moved to, um, a juvenile delinquent facility and he's only there 10 months before being removed because he was there from January to October. Um, cause in May he turned 17. So now he actually ages up a little bit. So once he turned 17, his case was turned over to adult courts, which meant that he could um, post bail. 
So oh, his mom scary. helped him with bail to help him out. So obviously she cared a little bit. Yeah. Or I, I don't know what the thought process was behind that, but he gets out. So he's pending a trial date. He's free and clear now. So he's out. Um, and I wish our story ended there, um, but we wouldn't still be talking about him if, you know. Wow. If he was just a troubled teenager who handled rejection from a girl in a super weird and creepy yes. way. Very by moving weird and creepy. House. And driving them crazy. <laughs> Living in their walls. Uh, um, I wish that was all he did. Um, but, so he gets out in um, of the juvenile facility. And his court date is December 11th, 1987. And so his rap sheet so far, he's got four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault in a dwelling, breaking and entering, larceny, and malicious destruction of property. Wow. Um, free. Free, you know, out walking about with that rap sheet. And um, just need to come back to court on December 11th, 1987. But he had other plans. Okay, so we left off where he has gotten out of juvenile. Okay. Uh, the delinquent facility. He posted um, bail, and now he's waiting for his trial. With the help of his mom. With the help of his mom. Mm-hmm. And so his trial was set for December. Okay. Okay. So, but in November, a month before his court date, he decided to break into a home. And this time he didn't, you know, play around. He didn't move furniture or anything like that. He stole two handguns. So now he's starting to escalate yes. and get more um, serious. And then on December 1st, 1987, armed with one of the handguns, he decided to take a walk. He walked about half a mile through the woods to a residence, the Gustafsons residence, and he broke in. Okay. Now, in this house um, is Priscilla. She lives there with her husband, Andrew, and their two young children. Um, Priscilla herself, she's 33. She's a um, nursery school teacher at her church. Oh, wow. And then you have um, her husband, Andrew. He's 34 and was a lawyer. Abigail is seven, and William was just five years old. Oh, man. And so the house is decorated for Christmas. You're going into the holidays. Um, once inside, Daniel only finds Priscilla and William. So Andrew was at work because it was during the day. And Abigail was at school. Okay. Because she's old school age. And the bus wouldn't bring her home until the afternoon. So Daniel took Priscilla upstairs um, at gunpoint. And he raped her and oh. shot her in the head through a pillowcase. To, oh, my to gracious. Yeah. The sound. And then he takes William and drowns him in the bathtub <gasps> and leaves him there. Oh, my word. He waited until Abigail got home because she had to get home from school. And he drowns her in the downstairs bathtub and leaves her there. He had to have planned this to know. And so, you know, then a significant amount of time passes until Andrew comes home from work. Because, you know, if Abigail gets home around 3, he probably leaves the office at 5, 6, something like that. So, he comes home and his house is, you know, it's eerily quiet and dark because it's the wintertime. So, you know, it gets dark earlier. Well, if they already had it decorated for Christmas, they would have had the lights on. If they had timers. Yeah. Um, maybe they didn't have a timer. Yeah. Maybe she didn't cut them on during the day. Yeah. Anyways, but it's dark. So yeah. he knows something's up when right. the, house is, the house is dark. And so he doesn't go into the kids' bathroom or their room. He goes to his room to find out what's his wife up to. Okay. And he finds her face down in a pool of blood on the oh, bed. Oh, man. And so he's immediately sick to his stomach. And he doesn't look around the house for because he obviously can't hear anything. It's quiet. He just goes straight to the neighbor's house to call police. Okay. Because he doesn't want to find his his children. Yeah. He just wants the police to, to handle that. Oh. And so once they get there and they go through the house, they find um, one in the downstairs bathroom and then one in the upstairs bathroom. And, of course, his wife and the master. 
Um, and so I guess Daniel had left the house. He had left at that point. Um, and um, Priscilla was also pregnant with their third child. Oh, my word. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's just, sad. It's, it's sad all yeah. the way around. Um, they had very few clues to go on. There was a 22 shell casing. Um, there was an open can of beer. Um, they had semen stains on the bed, footprints in flower beds outside, um, but no suspects because it was yeah. just like seemed to be just a random act of violence. And of course, no DNA, but yeah, the system at that, that time. So, um, of course, the whole murder shocked the community. You know, who could do something like this? She was a nursery school teacher yeah. at church, and then yeah. she was pregnant. Like, who killed a pregnant lady? Yeah. Um. So it was just really horrible. And, the, you know, the two innocent children, they didn't do anything. No, to. they didn't deserve None um, of them deserved it. A few items had been missing from the home. So when they were like, they pulled up past offenders in the area and and, and stuff like that, Daniel's name comes up okay, because good. he's known in the area for breaking and entering homes and moving stuff around. He's not necessarily known for any act of violence, however. Well, but he um, was young and hadn't had time to escalate. Exactly. And so they decided to visit him. They found him in the town library. And, you know, they had some questions for him, and he denied knowing anything about the murder. You know, said he was at home watching TV, and then he went to his niece's birthday party. He was very cool, calm, collected. Like, they had no physical evidence, wow. so they can't take you into custody. They can't charge you with anything, even if they were suspect that he was, you know, responsible. So they just had to just like, okay, well, thanks. If you have found anything out, just let us know, and had to walk away. <sighs> knowing that that was probably their yeah. guy. That would frustrate me being a cop. Oh, definitely. I would get in so much trouble for us. I would too. Um, and no, but then they decided to go to his house later that day. Oh, so they went to Daniel's house again? They went by his house because they were just going to speak to him again. And, you know, sometimes if there's something laying out and it might be probable cause to search further. So okay. just to see what they could see, they decided to just go to his house. Cool. Um, but when they get to his house, he's standing on the porch. Huh. And as soon as they pull into the driveway, he pulls the universal sign of guilt and runs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so why are you running this exactly. year? Exactly. He, so he runs. He just runs off towards the woods and heads, you know, in the direction. And so obviously they're like, well, let's chase him. So they go find him. And um, in the path that he took between, so his house through the woods to the Gustafsons house, was half a mile. Okay. And in that half a mile, they found a shirt that might have belonged to him, some wet gloves, like, uh, gotcha. clearly obvious that's, that is what happened. That was his hiking trail. Um, but he had already gotten away. And so, while on the run, he holds up a woman at gunpoint, forcing her into her car and ordering him her to drive him around town. Okay. And so, he's trying to get away from the cops, steal, hijacks this car. Makes this lady drive drive him around, and then she gets away, and she calls police like he's driving a van with the license plate number da 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 because he stole it from me. <laughs> so now they're like, no, we know what he's driving. So they find him the next day, like eleven miles away, like hiding behind a dumpster in a lumberyard. Oh wow! In this town of Ayer, um, so they catch up with him, and and despite having a gun hidden in his like waistband. He was arrested without incident. He was like laughing hysterically and surrendered with no problems. Like they, he thought it was funny to him. Oh my gracious. And he was like having fun. And <laughs> yeah. Sick mind. Yes. So they said it was laughing hysterically and he was charged with three murders. Um, I don't think it was a felony count yet for an unborn child. I'm not sure when that passed okay. in, in the courts. Um, but he was charged for three murders. Okay. And, uh, 
he pleaded not guilty, although evidence is just overwhelming. I mean, they even had a, a dog, a canine, start in the master bedroom with the pillow and go straight down the house, out the door, through the woods, to his front porch. Oh, my gracious. So, I mean, so he was definitely, <laughs> yes, guilty. So, um, and those dogs are amazing. Thank God for um, those dogs. And so he goes to trial in uh, October. And even though the murders happened when he was 17, he was tried as an adult. Okay. Um, they gave him a psychiatric evaluation and determined that he was in his right mind and able to stand trial. Like, he was not legitimately insane or couldn't plea reason of insanity he gotcha. was he knew what he was doing um of course the defense played up the trauma of his horrible childhood and blamed it on on that that he had been a victim his whole life and which does not justify it anything by those means right it never does i mean um, it is sad that he had that upbringing but you've got to be held responsible for things like that. And there's it affects other, so many other people. Yeah, other people go through that, and they eventually come out the other side and don't murder a bunch of, that's of right. people and that's innocent just, children. That's right. Um, so they explain that the evidence could be linked to other members of the household. The dog ran up to the door, but he's not the only one who lives there. Like, right. We're reaching very hard that somebody else in his family, and a lot of his family members testified against him. About how weird and creepy he was. And there you go. And behavioral issues yeah. and you know, all this stuff. Um, and so it was just no surprise. Like throughout the whole trial, he was like smirking and smiling and laughing and obviously giving off the impression that he was not remorseful for what he did. Right. And he obviously has something disturbed going on um, up there. So it took them five hours and they determined that he was uh, guilty of all the charges. And so he was given three life sentences. Um, to be served back to back to back. Okay, good. Um, but in 1993, he tried to appeal his conviction, stating that the search of his house was unwarranted. Um, of course, that would make everything they found inside the house admissible in court, and thus overturning his conviction. But wouldn't him running I and then finding all that stuff <laughs> make it where they could do a search? Well, rightly so, it was denied. <laughs> okay, good. But in 2000, that doesn't mean he didn't cause trouble. Like, for some reason, he just had to cause trouble. So, in 2000, he requested to be segregated because of his safety, because he was receiving uh, threats in prison. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can't imagine why. So, he was moved into a different location, away from other inmates. But then he turns around and sues the Board of Prisons for denying him access to the library, which he lost because he wanted to be segregated from the other inmates. He made the choice. Uh, but he won. He, he won, won. He won four hundred and fifty dollars. Oh I don't goodness. know how many cigarettes that may buy you in the prison. Oh, or some nice tennis shoes. <laughs> you can't get out to to spend it. Or your safety. He yeah, won four hundred and fifty. Four hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and in 2013, he explained that his right to exercise. I couldn't his even get my taxes back. I know. <laughs> <sighs> but listen to this latest request. So in 2013, he said that his right to exercise religion was being denied. He had decided he wanted to become a Wiccan and demanded things be brought to him, such as dragon's blood, honeysuckle, and carrot cake. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, is that part of the Wiccan? I don't know. I don't, I've never heard carrot cake. Be yeah. <laughs> I just wanted carrot cake. Yeah. So, dragon's blood and what was the Honeysuckle. Other? Honeysuckle. Okay. And carrot cake. And carrot cake. Mm. Odd. 
So that was in what year? That was in 2013. Wow, that wasn't that long ago. But in 2017, he sought to have his sentence reduced and be eligible for parole because the Supreme Court ruled that a juvenile could not be sentenced to life without parole. Um, he was hoping that that would change his, his sentence from three life sentences consecutively to three life sentences concurrently, and that would make him eligible for parole in the year 2017 because he had already served so many years. And I hope that he is not out and about with us like many th people are. Rightly today. so, the judge determined that the maximum punishment will stay in place. <laughs> Daniel is behind bars where he should be. Yes. Now, Andrew, uh, the lawyer who had lost everyone. His whole family. He remarried in 1989 uh, to a widow who helped him through his grief. And they each wore two wedding bands, one for each other and one for their previous spouse. And they had two children. Um, he quit law and went to work for the state as a child advocate and then in may of 2014 he passed away at 60 of cancer oh man um, poor guy yeah but when i was right because you go through all those dates and you're going through getting to the end of the story he remarried in 1989 and it happened in 1987 yeah. that was awfully fast but he i'm not judging anyone royal and he yeah but it made me go back and like wait a minute when, when did yes <laughs> i had already done the math when you said it <laughs> two years but i think he, you know, it may have I been, mean, I know someone that just recently had, has done that and they just couldn't be lonely and he suffered so much Well, I'm saying if he was by himself, who knows, he would have, you know, maybe yeah. have done something that yeah. um, would have been tragic as well if he didn't have somebody to help him through That's that. That's right. So, and but how about move on. the first family, the good, the I, no, nothing, no, no information. Mm -mm. I was just curious. But if I was that girl, oh my word. That was our first date. I'm really surprised. And then he ends up living in the walls of your house, and then he murdered a yes. whole time, oh, family. Oh my and I mean, I'm surprised he didn't try to go back and retaliate against them. But um, it's very sad that he chose to mm. up his his game to murder. Which and often, when people get released and they're repeat offenders, is what happens. Yes. <laughs> Why haven't we discovered that? Exactly. We haven't. And. <laughs> and it just seems to be getting worse where people are, there's no consequences <sighs> for behaviors. Um, even the simplest things, if there's no consequences for that and there's no. Um, How far can we push it? Yeah. yeah. So if you, yeah. Cause I mean, if I'm not going to be punished for something that I did, that's even small then I know, Hey, next time I, I can, can go, go a little, little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so but yeah, that's a creepy one. And then you Melissa. end up on this show where we talk about you. Yes. <laughs> and he has to be, what, in his, I'm going to guess, like, You do 50? math. I do not do what math. What year was he? Uh, what born. year was he? <laughs> what year was he born? Um, when did he happen? He happens. Well, I can't find it You said now. the 70s, but I was curious. I did. Nah, May. Uh, she is currently. Uh, May 15th, 1970. Okay, so he would be 51 right now. And I only yeah. know that because of knowing someone that was born that year. <laughs> Not me. You know what? My, my brother was born that year. Was he born in yes. 70? Okay. So. No. I don't. Well, he's around Yes, because he's 14 years older than me, and I just gave away my age. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's 51 years young. My so. brother's age. So this That's gentleman creepy. is still That's in prison at 51. And if he was and trying he to do be, things in 2017. Well, he's he's in there. They denied all that stuff. So that's thank good. the Lord for that. 
cool well thank you guys yeah that was very interesting i had never heard that one um so we appreciate you joining us and we will you'd like to go ahead well plan oh were you gonna say (laughs) go ahead i was just gonna say that um because last week i forgot to mention my sources um where i got my information from but this time there's actually this detailed article um i don't know who wrote it but it was super detailed and it was written very beautifully on um talkmurderwithme.com so that's where I found my information and it was well researched and I'll put that in the show notes and um, link it up if you wanted to read that yourself and then remember we'll be on Thursdays next week to make sure that we change the day and that um, you can always join our Facebook group or email us Um, we're oldtimecrimegals at gmail.com and do you have anything else to add other than the Nope. Tagline. If you do the crime, it'll catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.